One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. This is Paige, the co host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving Olive in June. Olive in June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Outspoken with White and Jordan 100% engagement It's a total disrespect Download, stand well back, listen Jim White and Simon Jordan I don't see that view Outspoken with White and Jordan From the world's biggest sports radio station Talk Sport Hello and thanks for downloading Outspoken, the podcast that brings you the very best of our daily talk sports show. Simon Jordan and Danny Murphy joined me as we heard from Robert Smith, the General Secretary of the British Boxing Board of Control, following news of Amir Khan's positive drugs test this week. Plus, former England centre Luther Burrell gave us his reaction to the RFU's investigation into racism in rugby. Thanks for listening to Outspoken. Don't forget to leave a five-star review and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll be back tomorrow. Simon, I think it's fair to say whether it's uh, football, whether it's golf involving live golf, whether it's whatever sport, we try to get to the heart of the matter and ask the questions that matter. And yet again, a, well, sport, you do. a sport that you love, a sport that you love. And Danny, you're a big fan of boxing as well. Again in the spotlight this morning, because yesterday, former light welterweight champion Amir Khan was handed a two-year ban from all sport after testing positive for a banned substance. Just what boxing, in the light of the Conor Ben situation, did not need. Now, UCAD, who does the testing, tell us they notified Khan on April the 6th, two thousand. And 22, April last year, April the 6th, 2022. Yesterday, the promoter of the fight that saw Can up against uh, Kel Brook and saw Can lose that last fight to Kel Brook, Ben Shalom said he just found out about it a few hours before we did yesterday morning. So the basic bottom line question is, who knew what and when? So this morning... The man at the top of the British Boxing Border Control, Robert Smith, agreed to do what we would call a pre-recorded chat just before we came on air. So I kind of locked horns with Robert Smith just as we were coming on air. And I said, right, Robert, first off, when was the board notified about Cannes' failed drugs test? We get a re- always get a request if there's a possibility of a positive test with regard to update with regard to the licences. So we had that, I would say, end of February sometime, time, maybe, maybe a bit after. And then we were notified in April that there was a charge going against Amir. And then we didn't hear any more until August when uh, arbitration was requested. This is obviously last year. And then obviously I found out about the decision 
and there's an opportunity to appeal any decision, which we didn't. And, uh, and then it was obviously published the other day. So just to be clear, Robert, when did you hear, when did the board hear from UCAD that Can was in difficulty regarding this failed test? Uh, around about April of 2022. The same time yeah. as Can found out? Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, everything to do with UCAD is private and confidential, which is um, how, how it should be. And uh, from then, it's up to Mr. Khan or, or any athlete to uh, protest their innocence or give any, evidence, any explanation. Then, obviously, it takes a lot of time uh, with regard to any hearings that are taking place, which obviously did take place, which the board had nothing to do with. That's down to UCAD and an independent panel. And once the independent panel made a decision, they give you an opportunity to appeal. And after that, then they publish. Robert, what screams out at me is this. Why has it taken you and the board almost a year for this to become public knowledge? Why did you sit in this information for almost a year? Because you can't deal with all our, all our anti-doping processes. Uh, we don't have any dealings with regard to any hearing, etc. down to UCAD. And I'm as frustrated as you are, with regard, possibly more frustrated with regard to how long it takes. But uh, he's entitled, any athlete's entitled to due process, and that's what they've done. But in, in the United Kingdom, though, Robert, is the board not the guardian of the sport? Are you not the ultimate authority, the adjudicator? How could you sit in it? No, but we, we, when you say sit on it, we didn't sit on it. Now, you can deal with all our disciplinary matters with regard to anti-doping. They have a process in place for any other sport in the country. We have to abide by that. We're signed up to them as every other sport in the country. As I said, I'm as frustrated as anybody else, but that's what we've signed up to. And they have a process, and that's how the process works. I think it's too slow, but that's up to them. That's how they deal with it, and there's not much I can do with it about the present time. Surely, Robert, the process has got to change. Surely, Robert, the process isn't fit for purpose. I think the process is fit for purpose, but it does take too long. I think that this issue, the issue we've got here is that uh, obviously UCAD have sole authority with regard to it. I knew there was a problem. Uh, however, any athlete's entitled to uh, explain why there's a problem, which I understand he has. We were not part of that process. We listen to what UCAD say and we abide by what they do. They act on our behalf. Whether I'm happy with it, possibly not. Um, and whether I've got to do something about it, possibly yes. What will that something be, Robert? Because clearly something's got to be done about it. Let's not speculate just yet. I've hopefully got a meeting with them soon with regard to how processes are done and uh, with regard to not just a number of cases, etc., and processes in the future. But it's, as I say, it's, nobody's more frustrated than I am, Jim. Robert, what would you say to those this morning who are saying, oh, Amir Khan, it doesn't matter, he's retired anyway. Surely it's the whole credibility of the sport itself that matters here. Yeah, I, I agree with that. The sport's getting a kick in the teeth at the moment, which is very disappointing and uh, annoying. But we'll we'll get over it, and I'm sure we'll be all right in the future. But we're no different from any other sport at the present time. They don't, the UK don't publish until they're ready to publish. And uh, everybody has their opportunity to put forward their cases, which obviously Mr. Khan has done. Uh, they've accepted to a certain extent. That's why he's got two years. It's wrong because he's obviously retired now, but the, the damage has already been done, which is obviously something we have to look at. Do we not now here have another boxer and a high-profile boxer in Amir Khan, retired or not, whose legacy is tarnished by this? I think it possibly has been. However, the only thing I would say, I'm not making excuses for Amir, 
he, he has been possibly tested more than any other boxer in Great Britain because he turned pro very early. He was, you know, the Olympian. He was tested as an Olympian, 17-year-old. He fought for championships fairly quickly in his pro career. We're testing boxers every single week. We're testing, you know, and, and also out of competition. The amount of positive tests we get is pretty low, but obviously when we do get them, it's a major issue for the sport, which is disappointing. Um, and it's disappointing that anybody who want to try to in, um, enhance their performances by taking something. I haven't seen the explanation from Amir, to be honest. I've only seen the decision. And, uh, you know, a little bit like any, everything else, you know, we get to know what's what's gone on and maybe we need a bit more information. I don't know. Amir Khan, headlines for the wrong reasons. Conor Ben, headlines for the wrong reasons. High-profile fighters in your sport. The sport's in the gutter, isn't it? It's not in the gutter, Jim. I mean, I'm not being funny. Look look at all the fights taking place. But we're going through a bit of a difficult, a difficult time, and I'm the first one to acknowledge that. It's not due to the ball. It's due to other people's behaviour, etc., which is very, very disappointing for the sport as a whole. And as I said, there's nobody more frustrated than I am, I can tell you, that when you wake up in the morning thinking what's going to go wrong now. And uh, we just need to... As a, we are a great sport, but we cook ourselves in the teeth sometimes, shoot ourselves in the foot quite a lot, which is very disappointing. That was Robert Smith of the British Boxing Board of Control. Uh, following on the Conor Ben situation, Amir Khan. Now uh, the headline, uh, the headline story in the world of boxing for all the wrong reasons, uh, facing a two-year ban. Even although he's retired, and now for the first time, we now know that the British Boxing Board of Control knew for about a year that Khan was in trouble. Regards his uh, failed drugs test, but because of the process. And the nature of the process, it only came into the public domain yesterday. I cannot be right, surely. The world's most dangerous download. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. I've got to say, number one, Robert Smith was comfortable doing the interview. Number two, I thank him for it. But number three, Simon, where does it take us now? Now, so many people, I think because you're so interested in, in boxing, Simon, Spencer Oliver, when Spencer joins us on a Thursday, it's a very popular segment of the show. So many people who listen on a Thursday are listening this morning thinking, nah, not having this. This is not on. There's Rob. The British Boxing Board of Control are not fit for purpose. They're not governing the sport. Robert Smith can talk about frustration and the process not being good enough, but this quite simply is awful. Uh, there's another, Rob. Simon was right. The British Boxing Board of No Control. That sums it up. There's another boxing fan. Guys, this is ludicrous. Everyone you speak to is pointing in the direction of everyone else to blame. Mm. This is embarrassing. Well, I mean, let's get something straight. The process works. Drugs test get failed. People get consequenced. What we're talking about timelines. We're talking about the consequences of how people accept people's behaviour and how people process things quickly. There is a uniqueness about this situation because I would suggest that there was no timelines that were specific to this because Amir Khan retired and probably gave up his licence. So that meant the British Boxing Board of Control didn't have to intervene too much to suspend him from fighting again because a fight wasn't imminent. But where this falls down and where it unequivocally falls down is in two factions. It's at UKEB and it's at the British Boxing Board of Control. The UKAD are a, a, a legislated, the UK anti-doping uh, environment put in place by the government. They're part of the DCMS's uh, Department of Culture, Media and Sport. They're advocated by them, they're legislated by them, and to some extent they're funded by them. It won't surprise people to know that this is an organisation that isn't particularly competent, isn't particularly effective, and isn't doing a particularly good job. And here's a statistic that proves that. Boxing 
has four times less out-of-competition tests for doping than cycling does. Now, I suspect that cycling, with all the foil that's gone around it, but if you fall off your cycle, you graze your chin. You go in a ring with somebody, you punch them in the face, you can kill them. So it's absolutely incomprehensible that UCAD would do four times less testing on boxing than they do on cycling. There's not enough testing being done. There's not enough investment in making sure that the protocol of getting rid of doping is a key component of sport. Then you've got the British Boxing Board of Control saying, well, that's acceptable. The British Boxing Board of Control have chosen to sign up to UCAD's rules, chosen to sign up to their protocol, which is the UCAD will govern the disciplinary process and the boxer will then be sanctioned by the UCAD board uh, in terms of a disciplinary four-year yeah. ban, two-year ban or whatever it is, and the British Boxing Board of Control will come in behind that. But the British Boxing Board of Control don't have to accept that nonsense. They don't have to accept, accept them and say, hang on a second, are you, are you looking at your statistics, UCAD? You are doing four times less out-of-competition testing for boxers than you are doing for cycling. We don't accept that. We don't think it's good enough for our sport. And the reason why I think that's the case is because I don't think there's enough urgency in the British... I like Robert Smith. I think he's a perfectly pleasant fellow. But you need to be leading this with gusto and with enthusiasm and affecting change. Exactly. And not just blame the process. You've got boxers and you've got pundits talking about doping in boxing being so prevalent that it could be up to 50% of fighters are involved in this process. You've got a British Boxing Board of Control hearing that background noise and doing precisely nothing about saying to UCAD, not on our watch. We are not having this anymore. We want this sport to be clean. Hmm. We want it to be completely controlled. And we are going to either go to the government ourselves, the DCMS, who spend as much time on witch hunts, you know, about who called who and who said what to one another. They spend far more time on that than suggesting that a sport which is so risk-orientated is not having the proper governance from its UK testing agency. And the British Boxing Board of Control can blame UCAD because it's UCAD's processes that are crap. Right? But they are tolerating it, they are accepting it, and they are condoning it, and they're not doing anything about leading the sport to say, no, we're going to put the proper funding model in place, right. we're going to demand the government intervene and legislate yeah. the UK better yeah. than they currently do. And all of that leads to a situation Now the process works, because it's undeniable the process works. Khan got caught failing a drugs test, he got banned. He didn't fight in between then and then, so there was no jeopardy in the process. But nonetheless, but the, the timing of it is ludicrous. The optics of it, the leadership of it, the direction of it, all goes into the moniker of the British Boxing Board of No Control. It's no good turning up and being at fights and getting your, your picture taken with fighters. It's no good being like the old FA with blazers and ties and being more interested in watching international matches. You need to lead this damn sport. You, people can come out with silly little analogies about me being the Cape Crusader because I can sit from the sidelines with objective eyes. But a British boxing board of control needs to lead this. And they do not need to accept UCAD's protocols. They signed up to UCAB because mm. they wanted to. It's, UK not, it's not good enough, Danny. It's not good enough. And I like Robert as well. We meet him when we're at fights. Yeah, fine. But it's not good enough for the British Boxing Border Control's top man to say, I'm as frustrated as you it's are. It's not good the enough for them it's to... It's not good enough. not good enough for them to accept the negligence of UCAD. Those numbers that you've just talked about on the testing, that is gross that's negligence. The that's the you are talking part. about people's lives. Mm. You are talking and about the point. A, yeah. lack, a lack of competency yeah. in getting more people tested more often to, to potentially save boxers' lives. They will do that's that, what you're that, saying. If that requires more funding, 
then you catch should get more funding from the DCMS. If Where does that stop, though? If it requires more funding from the sport, then Robert Smith needs to get front and centre and tell people that he's going to change the way this sport hangs together yep. and he's going to talk to the promoters and he's going to bring funding yeah, to the take table. Take a percentage. Yeah. Because if you're, it's undeniable. I've got UCAD's testing results. This is not me picking this out of the back of my backside. This is me looking at UCAD's testing results. These are facts. Simon, you and I were there in Manchester that night at Cannes and Brook. There wasn't a seat to be had. It, it was a total sellout. Are people not right to be saying to UCAD and Robert Smith this morning, hey, I paid good money to go to that? But the boxing is made up of, a, of a very few big Should fights. Should lose his purse? Well, this is the question I would put to, to, to Ben Shalom about the nature of the fight itself and the, but the nature of what um, Amir Khan has done. Now, Amir Khan was talking about the, the content that's inside his system and so on and so forth. And that could only be taken from very small options of yeah. maybe shaking someone's hand. Yeah. We also know it can be metabolised. We also know, with due respect to Ben, that the tests that were done on this fight were pretty rigorous. Because I know, because I've spoken to Ben Shalom, I know the tests, I know that he's done everything that he should do as a promoter. So with that in mind, you then look at this and say, Khan was caught. The system works. But clearly... It's not working effectively enough because we've got thousands and thousands of fighters and thousands of fights that aren't... We've got, I, I know fighters that haven't been tested for a year. Now, how do you square that circle? Mm. How do you suggest that that's effective they governance? For that? Yeah, and exactly. the British Boxing Board of Control are tolerating it and UCAD aren't fit for purpose in this space. And the only reason you use UCAD is because UCAD's got an appeal process. The yeah. reason why you don't use VADA is because VADA is just a laboratory that tests it and produces an outcome and then nobody arbitrates the appeal. We cannot deny the process works, but we can only suggest that this is not an effective way to no, govern it's not the fit for a purpose. It can't be that difficult to crunch the numbers and find the money. So if you're talking about, say, the top 50 fighters in each yeah. weight division... But if yeah. I'm Robert Smith and I see the results from, uh, from UK this year and it shows me right being 64... 64 out-of-competition out of, yeah. tests, right? Ridiculous. Cycling had 260. I'd look at this and go, something's awry here. I need to be driving this because I believe that our sport needs to be cleaner. I don't want to shoot myself in the foot and kick myself in the teeth, which is contradiction in terms because you can't do both. Yeah. But the bottom line is, is I'm in a situation where I'm leading the sport. Yeah. And then no one can say, what, pe- what, you, what, you want to hear, what you want to hear people say to Robert Smith is, slow down, fella, all right? They don't, <laughs> rather than push him out there, you want to pull him back in again because he's getting too innovative, too inventive, too ambitious, too determined for change. None of that can be accused. Is the, DC- no. is the DCMS? I'm not saying it's easy. Is the DCMS to likely to fund more testing just by saying we well, need more testing? The DCMS have got plenty of time to call select committees to involve themselves in every single name calling exercise yeah, yeah. that people can get involved yeah. in. They could be doing something equally as important. The process, as well. quite simply, yeah, it works. People get caught. Yeah, if can if can has indeed uh, been guilty of this, then. The process works. But the process isn't fit for purpose because it takes too damn long. The British Boxing Board of Control knew about Can on April 2022 and we only find out yesterday. Yeah, I'm quite sure Robert Smith's going into a meeting. Your 100% essential download. Outspoken with White and Jordan. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. 
That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Welcome to the Coliseum of Confrontation. Outspoken with White and Jordan. Simon, I know you and many others had some hard and fast views about the investigation into the world of cricket. And, of course, the situation with Michael Vaughan that came to light last week uh, that uh, he was found not guilty of making any racist comments, um, I think, on the day at Headingley some years ago. But it, it's, not, it's not a subject that is unique to cricket. Now, very shortly, we're going to be joined by former England and Northampton Centre, Luther Burrell. Because this morning, Simon, after an eight-month-long investigation, eight months it's taken them, the RFU itself has concluded that racism exists at every level of the elite game, including within the senior England team. Now, this is the RFU who've made these conclusions, and we, in the next few minutes, in the company of Luther Burrell, will react to them. The RFU conducted an investigation into discrimination in rugby following Burrell going public with his experiences last year. He claimed that racism was still rife in the sport. He said that comments were made to him about slavery and skin colour while he was at his last club, Newcastle Falcons. In the majority of experience, those who described instances of this described them as repeated occurrences rather than one-off incidents. Participants also gave experiences of being stereotyped, for example, being placed on the wing because of a perception that black players were maybe faster and were better equipped being used in that particular position. So to put it into context, what we know is this. Between September and December 2022, approximately 500 people at the top end of men's and women's rugby were spoken to. Their answers, their conclusions were all taken into account. And now the RFU has produced this. The RFU concluding that racism exists at every level of the elite game, including in the England team. Luther Burrell got all this going and Luther joins us live Luther, good morning to you. Can I ask you, first of all, how are you feeling this morning now that your allegations have clearly been upheld by the RFU? Good morning, gents. Good morning. Okay. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, look, um, it's been a long, a long process and it's been a complex one. However, I'm feeling, I'm feeling proud of myself for actually being one of the first, if not the first, to actually bring this to people's attention and actually being vindicated is is very it's very rewarding however you know this is only the beginning and you know as i initially said this has never been about any retribution um this has been this has been about generational change and, and bringing these unfortunate circumstances to light i can hear in your tone luther am i right that there's a hint of exasperation in your voice as well 
yeah, that, of course, that, that it's ever had to get to this. Come on, Cook. Of course, there is. I'm, I'm only human, mate. You know, this <laughs> nobody, nobody wants to be talking about about this in in 2023, do they? Um, however, you know, the, these conversations need to be happening. There's no expiration for this. I'm happy, and I'm proud that the RFU did their own internal investigation. Have come to this conclusion. You know, 600 people investigated all levels of rugby. They've they've had racism so i remember when i did the initial interview and simon asked me you know is this an institutional problem and i couldn't answer him you know well the facts are there now aren't they so we've got a lot of work to do in the RF. you have a lot of work to do to eradicate this well simon's with me i mean simon it would appear that uh, luther's voice was heard the rfu very much heard it acted yeah. upon it and at all levels of the game this now has got to be eradicated. Well, this is the point that, I, again, I want to double down on. It's interesting the terminology used, which is the balance of probabilities. That language wasn't accepted by certain quarters last week when Michael Vaughan was being cleared of the allegations led against him, but it's being accepted in this, in this constance. But that's a different discussion. I don't doubt and have never doubted that they're inside the dressing room and in that culture of the dressing room, there are inappropriate things being said by players and by coaches. I've never doubted that. Yeah. Mm. Because it would be ridiculous to doubt it because it's reflected of certain segments of society. Where I then push back, and it always feels like I'm pushing back against the allegation of racism, which I'm not doing, I'm trying to an an analyse it properly. When we talk about from top to bottom, and we characterise it that way, are we taking this into the corridors of power? Are we taking this into the owners of rugby clubs, the board of yeah. directors, all of those people, to ensure that when we're characterising institutional racism... We are characterising it properly. Not suggesting that any form of racism is more tolerant or more tolerable, whether it's endemic, systemic or institutional. I'm saying, if we look in the dressing room culture, we've seen it. We've seen protagonists Absolutely. like Azim Rafiq that have accused people of racism while being a racist himself. So you have the situation where people are saying inappropriate things to one another constantly and persistently. But does that then go to the very top of the tree? Does it go to the people that are in authority? Does it, Luther? Well, the point well, is, it has to be exhausted. Well, so, so, so on this topic, you know, let's just say um, Newcastle came out and, and um, indicated that if there was an issue at the club and the player had gone to HR, this this particular situation would have been eradicated. False. That is, a, I'm going to put that out there publicly now that that is a complete lie because there was no HR in place. And as a player that was that was suffering this abuse. Mm. Where am I to go? Was I supposed to go to my boss? Was I go to, supposed to go to the owner of the club? No, I, what am I supposed to do? I, I felt almost ostracised. However, you're absolutely right, Simon. Where is the representation? That is my question. And these are the conversations that I'm beginning to have with the RFU. Where is the representation? Where are these members, diverse backgrounds, that are involved with all of these premiership clubs and the RFU? They've got Tommy Lube sitting as a chair of the RFU, who is a, a, who is a man of colour. Fantastic. That's one Look across the whole Premiership. But Luther, can I just ask you, without questioning your experience, it's one thing having institutional racism, it's another thing not having due processes. If you haven't got a HR function at a football club, that means, or a rugby football club, that means you're not a particularly well run organisation, you're not particularly professional. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're institutionally racist. No, but he's not not saying that. No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying. Look, I'm not. You said there was no HR all. function at Newcastle. Yeah, yeah, yeah for him to report. I I'm saying, I'm saying that there was nowhere for me to essentially go and report what was going on. Okay, and, I, and, I, and I've accept, I and I understand I that point entirely. But that's a very different. That's that's incompetence. That's ineffectivity. 
And yeah, that's yeah, not necessarily is. institutional racism. That's people not being particularly competent at doing their jobs. So here we are now saying we've got a dressing room culture that appears to need to change. In your experiences of the sport, Luther, because one of the things I observed upon you the other time, and it's easy for me to say I'm not the one that's got to do it, but racism yeah. is a blot on our landscape and it affects people of colour remarkably. But no one seems to want to name people. And that was one of the observations I made to you because I don't think racism should be protected. But going to my original question... Are we talking about your experiences when you're dealing with people in authority outside of the dressing room, the RFU themselves, the directors of football cl- uh, rugby football clubs, those that are in authority? Are you experiencing the same level of racism that you experience in the dressing room so that you are then able to make the allegation this sport from top to bottom, as the characterisation was initially put forward, from the dressing room to those that condone the dressing room, which are the boardroom, are all in the same space that's what makes institutional racism yeah okay and and look i'm not i've not come on here and said there is institutional racism have i i said i remember you asking me that question and i couldn't at that particular point disagree or agree um i'm saying the facts more the facts now lead towards more institutional why i say that is because the rugby union has a huge amount of nepotism. Let's not beat around that bush. You know, it's 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 about, you know it's historically part of you know old boys club looking after mates and come and sit on this executive board and I'll look after you and I'll look after your son who attends you know whatever school he attends. This is the issue that needs to to change and the representation. I'm not saying look a black man that is not suitable for the job or an Asian man that's that's not su- suitable for the job should get the job. I'm saying people of diverse backgrounds that are suitable for the job, should get a fair... Should get a fair and you don't ball. think Luther, that's currently the case, Luther? I don't know. I, actually, Luther, it, I know where Simon's going with that. The RFU has concluded that racism exists at every level of the elite game. Is that boardroom level as well, then? Do you assume that to be a boardroom... Should we assume that to be a boardroom level as well? Well, I would assume so, yeah. Because where's the representation? It's not there, so... But that's not... Again, I don't want to be the person in the room that makes the the unpalatable observation against a very thorny subject, but lack of representation isn't always about racism. No, it's not, but let's just finish on a positive, Luther. I I think the the great thing about this and what you've done and this RFU investigation is that now it's got people talking and got people looking into the rugby clubs and how they are run and actually making sure that rugby clubs have a process in place where people like yourselves, if they go through this, can actually feel backed and supported and move forward with this and and dig out those people who who are guilty of racism of any kind. Yeah, I completely agree. And look, this this debate could go on. This debate could go on forever. And I can't answer Simon's question about the board members, etc., because I've not, I've not, frankly, had too much to deal with them. My experience from Northampton Saints was was a very positive one, to put it that. So when I talk about meeting board members and the owners of the club, I can only speak highly of that place. It took six months for the owner of Newcastle to come forward and actually meet me in person and actually have a man-to-man conversation with me. So, you know, for what reason, I do not know. Nobody from from the club has reached out to me over, over the past eight months until 48 hours ago when I, I guess they were briefed that this story was going to be released. And I'm talking from owners, CEOs, coaches, players. 
look, it's 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 dis- it's disappointing from that perspective, but the fact that I've been vindicated, I'm looking very positive about that, and it's a conversation now that people are going to yeah. be having all across all across the country, yeah. and they're going to be looking at themselves in a different manner, and they're going to be looking at the game in a, in a, in a, from a different perspective and different point of view. Welcome to the Coliseum of Confrontation, outspoken with White and Jordan from the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. Thanks for listening to Outspoken with White and Jordan. Please leave us a review wherever you get your podcast. We'll be back each weekday to bring you the best of the show. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.